your eyes and your vision are under attack, damaging blue light from the sun. Your phone, your computer, your tablet, even light bulbs and car headlights is constantly bombarding you. The good news is our eyes actually already have a line of defense to counter the effects of blue light. This defense is made up of three pigments called carotenoids. MacU Health with Micromycel, the only supplement with the exclusive patent on all three macular carotenoids and Micromycel technology. With more screen usage and indoor time, myopia, also known as nearsightedness, is increasing and getting worse in children. Now, certified eye doctors can prescribe MySight one day, the first and only FDA-approved soft contact lens to slow myopia progression in age-appropriate children. Visit coopervision.com to find a Brilliant Futures certified eye doctor near you. Hello and welcome to the Open Your Eyes podcast. I'm Dr. Kerry Gelb, the host of the documentary, Open Your Eyes. Please visit the film's website at openyoureyes2020.com, featuring interviews with more than 50 optometrists from around the country sharing information on eye care and eye disease. If you're new here and you like our interviews, press like, subscribe, share, and hit the bell to get notifications of great new interviews. Also, please leave comments. Complaints of dry eye is the leading non-refractive cause of eye doctor visits. Today's guest, Colorado-based optometrist, Dr. Lisa Hamilton, has dedicated her practice to, to treating patients with this uncomfortable and sometimes devastating disease. Dr. Hamilton shares with me today the state-of-the-art diagnostic and treatment technology she uses in her practice to help her patients. Welcome, Dr. Hamilton. Hello, Dr. Gelb. Thank you for having me on your show today. So what is dry eye? If you had to break it down and explain it to somebody, you know, a patient comes in, my eyes are dry, but what does that really mean? Right. So dry eye is a chronic, progressive, multifactorial condition where there's oftentimes inflammation. And the inflammation is, is sort of a two-factor problem because when the eyes become dry, the osmolarity of the tears changes. They often become more salty and that salt water concentration on our ocular surface causes inflammation. The inflammation causes a lot of the symptoms, the redness, the watering, the burning, the gritty feeling. My eyes feel like there's sand in them. Sometimes vision's fluctuating. People will say, gosh, my vision just went really blurry or by the end of the day, it's blurry or my eyes feel tired. I can't hardly keep them open anymore. But the inflammation also makes the problem worse. So when the eyes become infl inflamed, the lacrimal gland, which is the structure that creates the tears, when it becomes inflamed, it doesn't produce as much. And then the oil glands on the, on the lids are called meibomian glands. When they become inflamed, they don't produce as much oil. And when the goblet cells on the conjunctiva, the white part of the eye become inflamed, they don't produce as much mucus. So the inflammation then causes the eyes to become more dry, which then causes more inflammation, causes more symptoms, and in some cases can even lead to a very severe condition, very serious condition called neurotropic keratopathy, where the nerve endings on the cornea become desensitized and the feedback loop, we basically have nerve endings on our cornea that tell our brain it's time to produce more tears. We need to regulate that, that tear production neurofeedback loop. And if the corneal nerves become damaged, then that feedback loop is affected. And sometimes when 
with that feedback loop, we get the signal and says, okay, produce more tears. And then people feel like they're crying. Right. So I'll ask somebody, I'll say, I think your eyes are dry. And they'll say, no, they're not. They water all the time. I go, yeah, that's, they're watering because they're dry. <laughs> so do you have any tricks for patients? I'm often asked by patients, you know, that, you know, men, you know, they're very embarrassed. They walk outside and their eyes start tearing right away from the wind. And is there something that they could do about that? First, what is causing that? And what could be done about that? Well, I would just say we want to try to decrease the trigger that caused the reflex tears in the first place. So, you know, doing a full dry eye workup is important. It, it can't be done, you know, really shouldn't try to be done during your routine vision exam. There's quite a bit to it. And uh, we put different dyes in the eyes and just try to understand the root cause first. And then if we can address the root cause, and sometimes it's just a matter of adding a teardrop before you go into a real windy situation or a cold situation. Sometimes cold and wind will trigger that sort of response from the eyes. Yeah, I've noticed that that and a lot of times if they just put a drop of uh, rewetting drop in their eye before they go outside in the wind, that sometimes will help them. But it's so it's interesting. I had a guy the other day, this big, strong guy, and he goes, people think I'm crying all the time. You mentioned symptoms before. And with some of the symptoms, if somebody is looks at a computer all day, how does that looking at a computer and someone with dry eyes, how does that how does that work? What happens? So our blink rate reduces significantly when we look at the computer. And the blinking mechanism does, does two things. One is it spreads the tears evenly across the ocular surface. And another thing that it does that's really important is a full complete blink where you close completely, actually extracts the oils out of the oil glands, the meibomine glands. And those oils are critical because they create a, a top layer that prevents evaporation, especially in dry climate, because the dry air wants to wick away the tears. And when that that's really the root cause of dry eye for about 80%, 85% of people suffering from the condition is that the we don't have enough oil in our tear film, so the tears evaporate. When we're on a computer, our blink rate drops about to about 25% of what it should be. So significantly less. We tend to just stare at the computer screen. Also, when we're reading or watching TV, we tend to just stare. We forget to blink. The tears evaporate. The tears become relatively saltier. And then that salty tear film really irritates the surface of the eye. Now, when we look at the differential diagnosis of dry eye, a lot of times dry eye patients will have a red eye. Uh, so how do we tell the difference between maybe a viral conjunctivitis or a bacterial conjunctivitis? Yeah, so if patients, if your eyes are red, you really want to go see your eye care provider because you won't be able to necessarily rule these things out. But some common, common uh, symptoms for each one, if there's a bacterial infection, there's oftentimes a discharge that's a little thicker and sometimes looks white in color. If it's viral, a lot of times it's just a more of a watery eye, but then that's really hard to differentiate from, are my eyes dry or is there a viral infection? Viral infections though are usually short-lived. They usually start in one eye and then spread to the other eye, highly contagious, uh, and then they, they sort of run their course. Chlamydia can cause this sort of condition as well, and that can be more chronic, but with chlamydia, sometimes the glands will be swollen or there'll be just more swelling around the ocular surface. 
but it really is important to go in and see your eye care provider if you're having symptoms and to bring them up. I feel like so many of my patients don't even mention their symptoms. When I say, is anything you know going on with your eyes? Good to see you. How, you know, what can we address today? A lot, a lot of people really won't even bring it up until I really dig in and say, how are your eyes feeling throughout the day? Another thing with contact lenses, it's a common question I'll ask people who wear contact lenses is what time of day do your contacts start to bother you? When do you start to become aware of them? And a lot of people think, oh, well, I'm, that's just normal. I'm supposed to be aware of my contact lenses. And I think it ends up being the, the reason that like maybe 20% of people drop out of contact lenses is from dry eye. And the time of the day where they're usually noticing an issue is, is, is when? Usually later in the day. So they, they sort of wake up in the morning, usually feeling pretty good. And then as the day goes on, and especially as they use their computers during the day or they're wearing contacts for the day, then by evening time, their eyes are usually feeling pretty irritated. You, you mentioned in the differential diagnosis of dry eye, uh, viral, uh, bacterial, chlamydial, but how about allergic? Sometimes those are really difficult to tell the difference. That is really difficult. And the main differentiating differential diagnosis is itching. So if someone has a, because allergies are chronic, just like dry eye, allergies have inflammation, just like dry eye. So I really try to ask, do your eyes itch? And if they itch, then I'll recommend something for allergies. But keep in mind, anything we use for allergies, like antihistamines, will make the eyes more dry. So then we, some, and a lot of times there are both conditions. Sometimes our brains tend to think it's one or the other, but oftentimes it's both. And, you know, sometimes environmental conditions, which we spoke a little bit before, could exacerbate dry eye if you're sitting under a fan or, or if you're, you know, you don't, you, like you said, you don't blink right or you're in a very dry climate. Uh, if you could comment on that. Oh for, oh, for sure. And I think most of us are in situations where our eyes are really stressed and taxed and definitely here in Colorado where the climate's dry. Probably the majority of us are spending, you know, eight or 10 hours a day on computers while we're at work and then on our devices a lot when we're not on work. And e even our kids, our kids are on devices, young age, social media, even a lot of the reading that we do, a lot of us read on Kindles and read on our devices and don't use uh, books anymore. All of these, all of these factors affect our blink rate. And then if we're in the wind or if there's smoke in the air or pollution, all of these things are triggers for inflammation and irritation and dryness. And we talked a little bit about ocular conditions. If you're wearing a contact lens, that could lead, that could also make dry eyes a little bit worse. Uh, but eye surgery, such as LASIK or some eye abnormalities, if you could talk about LASIK and dry eye, you know, a lot of our patients have had LASIK and they do come in complaining that their eyes are dry. Absolutely. So Dr. Gelbin, we spoke earlier about that neurofeedback loop where the nerve endings on the cornea tell the brain, hey, I'm dry, I need more tears. And the brain constantly is regulating that. When they do LASIK, they cut a flap on the cornea, which cuts through about 90% of those corneal nerves. And they lift the flap and they laser underneath and they put the flap back. And the beauty of LASIK is it's, it's very generally a very fast recovery. Vision is, is already 20-20, usually within three or four hours and usually in most cases by the next day. But those nerve endings take some time to heal. And the majority of patients who have dry eye or have LASIK are suffering from dry eye for about six months after the procedure and are informed by the laser center to use artificial tears frequently. And they really should be preservative free. 
And then I would say at least 5% of patients are in a situation where their corneas never heal and they end up with a chronic long-standing dry eye as a result of LASIK. And how about medications? Which medications should we be careful of that could make dry eyes worse? Well, in, in particular, um, uh, the allergy medications, you know, antihistamines, um, anything for blood pressure, lots of antidepressants can do it. And then I really just have a strong belief that even if you've got a medication that doesn't, as a standalone medication, doesn't cause dry eye, a lot of my patients are on multiple medications. And once someone's on more than three medications, they're almost always having some dry eye effects from their medications. And how about like uh, hormone issues? For sure. So hormone replacement, especially estrogen, can make the eyes more dry. So women postmenopausal really do tend to suffer more. And let's talk about some systemic diseases that could lead to dry eyes, some of the autoimmune conditions, maybe some patients that you might have seen. Uh, what, what are some of the major uh, systemic conditions, autoimmune diseases that you've that we know that cause dry eye and maybe some that you've seen in clinical practice? Sure. So any sort of autoimmune condition can just cause inflammation in the body and that inflammation can lead to ocular surface inflammation, dry eye, then inflammation of the lacrimal gland and the meibomian glands and the goblet cells. Common ones would be arthritis or lupus. And then Sjogren's syndrome is also a very common cause of dry eye. The main differential there is that the mouth will be very chronically dry as well. And we notice that a lot of diabetics complain of dry eyes. Oh, good, good call out. Yes, that's right. Patients diabetic diabetes is a, is a big risk as well. And that's, that's becoming an epidemic all in itself. <laughs> right. And we see a ton of patients that, you know, that have diet, that have diabetes and, and uh, unfortunately they're, they're pretty inflamed. You know, a lot of them have the big belly and, the big belly causes inflammation and the drug companies have, uh, have figured it out with inflammation. You know, they, they, they know that if they give a patient a medication that in their eye that decreases inflammation, that the patients suffering from dry eye will become less symptomatic. So if we took a whole body approach and decrease inflammation and uh, the person with the big belly, the inflamed person goes on maybe a, a, a healthier diet, a healthier lifestyle. By decreasing inflammation, they could become more comfortable. For sure. And, and, and healthier overall, right? So we, um, I know you're an expert on, on diet and nutrition, and I hope you'll talk, speak about that a little bit here, but definitely anti-inflammatory anti medications are a huge treatment in our practice. We use topicals, we use steroid drops, we use prostasis or Zydra, and now there's even some new biologic drops, Regenerize, that have stem cells from cord blood that's been donated, and this is all managed through the American Tissue Bank. It's uh, it's uh, nothing, uh, you know, uh, no ethical issue with using that, and um that's one way to treat the inflammation. And then definitely going on an anti-inflammatory diet consisting mostly of fruits and vegetables and decreased processed foods and decreased fried foods, and decreased canola oil. And I'll let you uh, speak a little bit more about ways we can decrease inflammation in our bodies. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, we're big about that in our practice. You know, we have a 10-point plan and, you know, we, we want patients to be on an anti-inflammatory diet. So we try to remove all the bad things. Like you said, the processed foods, the sugar, the artificial sweeteners, uh, we want them to remove that and replace it with real food. We tell patients that we want you to eat things that have one ingredient, you know, broccoli, organic broccoli, apple. Uh, we don't want you to eat something that has 40 things in it, none of which you could pronounce because, you, you know, that's not real food. We want you to, we want you to eat real food. And if you could start with eating real food uh, and, uh, and replace it with with uh, processed food. That's a really big start. And you know, we put patients on the omega on omega threes and vitamin C, and vitamin D three K two, just uh, different types of supplementation, uh, astaxanthin to help with infl inflammation. So we also use uh, we recommend curcumin, which is very anti-inflammatory. Ginger, rosemary, a lot of the spices, green tea. So a lot of bone broth. Uh, if somebody has gut issues, uh, because that has a lot of collagen and it can improve uh, gut health. And we know that 70, 80% of your immune system comes from the gut. But the bottom line, if you eat real food and you don't eat food that has a lot of processed ingredients, a lot of chemicals, everything having one ingredient, I think that's a really good way to start. And of course, you know, there's always testing that you could do to, to see what you may be allergic to, et cetera. MacuHealth, your science-born and tested solutions for visual performance, macular degeneration, and dry eye syndrome. New products coming soon. Embrace the science. So let's go back to, uh, we talked about LASIK causing dry eye. How about CPAP, a CPAP machine? A lot of people are using CPAP machines now. Oh, that's a good point, Dr. Galb. The CPAP machines just blow air, really, when you think about it on the ocular surface at night while the patient's sleeping. And so it's very important to ask our patients, do you have sleep apnea? For, for lots of reasons, apnea can also lead to glaucoma, normal tension glaucoma. So we check our patient's eye pressure during the exam and we think, oh, their pressure's normal, they're at low risk for glaucoma, but if they have apnea, then they're at higher risk for glaucoma. And if they're sleeping with these CPAP devices, then that is going to cause their eyes to really dry out overnight when they sleep. They can uh, do things like adding these eye seal goggles that are compatible with the CPAP device. And then really, I, I, we could also just focus on addressing the root cause of the apnea, which is oftentimes, you know, excess body fat in the belly area, right? So then also talking about diet changes and losing weight. Right, metabolic syndrome. Now, a big one is mass. Now, everybody's wearing a mask. I don't know how it is in Colorado, but in New Jersey, uh, people are wearing masks and they come in and they're, and, and their eyes are dry and they're getting, they're getting all kinds of styes and preceptal cellulitis from these masks. Uh, I don't know how it is in Colorado. People still wear masks there, but that, that seems to be a real issue with dry eyes. That's a very good point, Dr. Gelb. When we wear these masks and we exhale, most of the air is diverted up through the top of the mask directly into our eyes. And unless we get a mask that's got a, a tighter piece of metal here that we can really push it down and conform it, 
that is going to continue to happen. And we'll really want to be mindful of that and pay attention to how our eyes are feeling throughout the day as we're wearing masks. It also, you know, as you know, causes our glasses to fog up and hopefully we can put this pandemic behind us soon and not have to wear them for too much longer. Do you have any tricks for uh, the glasses not fogging up? I don't. It's mostly just getting the, getting the, using a, a face mask with some sort of metal that you can really get it to be flush around the edge of the nose and around the cheeks. And then a lot of patients are going more to contact lens wear just because the glasses do, do fog up. It's quite annoying. There's actually a syndrome called MADE, mask associated uh, dry eye, because it, it's so common that people are dealing with dry eye that is, that is blowing through the mask and they're trying out their eyes. So it's, it, it, this, is, it, this is insanity. Right, so, so one piece of advice for folks, if you're having this and you wanna to go to the, the store or to Amazon and get some artificial tears, the, the better ones are always the ones that are preservative free. That way you're not adding chemicals to the surface of the eye. And then you wanna, I, I tend to recommend that we tend to stay away from Visine products and things that constrict the, the blood vessels because they just mask the problem. And sometimes they even cause more irritation. Now, if we look at the different layers of the tear film, uh, so if you could go into the different layers and, but then end with my bone gland dysfunction, since that's really the, they say 86, the research shows 86% of dry eye is caused from meibomian gland dysfunction. But if you go, go through the tear film and what we have to be careful about uh, and what diseases may affect different parts of the tear film. Oh, absolutely. So the top layer of the tears is the oil layer, which is produced by the meibomian glands. And those are the oil glands that line the surface of the lower lid and the upper lid. Then, the main body, the saline part of the tears are produced by the lacrimal gland. The lacrimal gland, um, that would be affected by conditions like medications that we're taking, autoimmune conditions can affect the lacrimal gland where it won't produce as much tears. I had a patient of mine who had a young, young girl, she had cancer of her lacrimal gland and had to have it removed and then she was unable to produce any, any saline at all. And we ended up having to fit her in a scleral contact lens, which is a big hard contact lens that rests on the white part of the eye and traps the saline in there to keep the ocular surface protected. And then the goblet cells are cells on the white part of the eye that produce mucus. So the purpose of the mucus is to help spread the tears evenly across the ocular surface and help it adhere. Then the saline part uh, is antibacterial, you know, antimicrobial. It helps fight off infections. That's really what it's trying to do and keep the surface lubricated. And then the top layer, the oil layer, its main purpose is to, to prevent the tears from evaporating. And boy, you called it, 86% of people with dry eye have problems with their oil glands. It doesn't mean it's the only problem they have because dry eye is multifactorial, but they, they have problems with those oil glands. So in our office, we image the glands to take a look at them with a device called a mybographer. So the image is called mybography. And what we wanna look at is the structure of the glands themselves. Do they look inflamed and are they starting to die off? What will happen is the inflammation will cause the oils in the glands to harden. And then those hardened oils 
do two things. One, we don't get as much oil in the tear film. So we get a lot of evaporation, which makes the tears more salty, which causes this whole inflammation cascade and salty salt, you know, like ocean water on our eyes. But the other thing that happens, which is more serious, is the hardened oils cause a chronic obstruction in the gland, which causes the glands to atrophy, which is another word for just dying off. And if we lose a gland, we're most likely not getting it back. There's maybe been some suggestion that perhaps biologic drops might, might help regenerate, but I, I, I would not hold out for that. I always tell my patients, if we lose a gland, we are not getting it back. So our whole treatment around thermal treatments in the office that we do are focused around unblocking the glands to get the oils flowing in the glands that are still there. And I'm surprised. I see some people with really short glands that they normally they'll, they'll have a nice length and some people just their glands have just shortened due to atrophy. And I'll think this tiny little nub, it probably isn't going to create much oil, but I'm surprised when we start treating them, heating them up, expressing out the blockages, then they will, uh, they'll start producing as well. So I'm really encouraged by that. And then we need maintenance therapy as well, because whatever the root cause was that caused the glands, the oils to harden up in the gland in the first place, we can do an in-office thermal treatment like Lipiflow, tear care, IPL, um, home heat masks, and light, th light therapy, low-level light therapy, where the red light heats up the glands and stimulates the ATP and the mitochondria of the cell to get it uh, working again. Um, no matter what we do in the office, it's not a one and done treatment because we'll, we'll get the oils flowing and then we'll notice that our tear breakup time, the time it takes, the seconds it takes for the tears to evaporate off the surface of the eye will greatly improve. Uh, but if we don't also address the inflammation, the person might not feel better. So if they come in and say, my eyes are dry and I say, absolutely they are, you have meibomian gland disease, MGD, and we're going to treat that with Lipiflow or light therapy or IPL. And I just do that one thing. And then I bring them back and their tear breakup time is much better. And I say, that's great. The treatment worked. And they say, yeah, doctor, but I'm not feeling any better. If that'll be the case, if I don't also treat the inflammation. And so the inflammation, as we talked about before, the topical steroid drops, the Zydra or Restasis or Sequoia and um, biologic drops. So we, we need to also really keep in mind and any patient going through dry eye treatment needs to really make sure that the doctor's addressing all three, you know, really all three components, which is the inflammation, the oils, and then also just the volume, the saline volume. Sometimes we also still need to add artificial tears or put in punctal plugs, these little, there's little puncta that drain the tear out of our eyes, the lacrimal canal. That's why when we cry, our nose runs and we can put little plugs in there to sort of slow down the outflow drain so that we can retain more of the body's natural tears. And sometimes even using artificial tears, the body, uh, even if they're preserved, not preserved, if the body didn't make them, it can still trigger inflammation in the body. The body can say, whoa, that doesn't belong there. I didn't make that. So sometimes increasing the body's natural tears with a plug is a smarter way to go. But we don't want to put a plug in an inflamed eye or do lipoflow on an inflamed eye. So we always want to make sure we're treating the inflammation. And then the last thing to keep in mind is that one of the main root causes of meibomian gland disease, MGD, is an in chronic infection in the oil glands and in the eyelash follicles, which are caused from bacteria, staph bacteria, and demodex mites. 
So a lot of us, you know, we're, we have microorganisms on our body. That's just how it goes. And the staph bacteria that live on our skin, they secrete a biofilm. And the bottom layer, the mucus layer of our tear film kind of seeps out at night while we sleep and also sort of forms a film on our, on our eyelids. And that becomes food for these little demodex mites that live in our eyelash follicles and in the meibomian glands. And then they can overpopulate. And that is a main cause of blepharitis. And then blepharitis, which is inflammation of the eyelids, is a main contributing cause of dry eye. So we want to make sure that we are looking for and addressing any blepharitis and treating that as well. And how do we treat that blepharitis? How do we get rid of those mites? Nobody wants those mites crawling on their eyelids. In fact, some doctors actually have a microscope in their office and they'll pull one off and put it under the microscope and you can see it crawling around. And people pretty much freak out when they see that. How do we treat that? How do we get rid of those things? Right. They can be challenging to get rid of. And I think sometimes, you know, a lot of people are told, oh, just use some baby shampoo in your shower and clean your eyelids. Well, when you do that, you're cleaning the scurf off the lashes, which is basically, you know, the, the mites themselves, they're deeper in the lash follicle and they have a 14 day life cycle and then they die and they're junk and, you know, dead, you know, just all the stuff from these, from these mites just ends up on the lash follicle as it grows out. So what we see during an exam is not really, you know, we'd have to have a high, like you mentioned, a high powered microscope to pluck a lash and put it on a microscope. But generally eye doctors don't have that. A lot of them don't have that in their exam lane. So what we end up seeing is just this kind of waxy buildup at the base of the lashes. And then a lot of patients are told, oh yeah, you've got blepharitis, just use some baby shampoo in the shower. And that might remove the waxy buildup, but it doesn't necessarily get in there and kill those bugs. So we have to be a little bit more aggressive about it. And we also really do need to remove all of that waxy buildup. We got to get that off of there. There's some uh, ways to mechanically remove it in the office, some treatments like Blefex and this kind of like the spinning wheel that just we can do in the office. It's kind of tickly. So patients sometimes kind of going to have trouble sitting still with that. I have uh, really enjoyed uh, the zocular zest treatment in the office. So we do that. Patients have been really comfortable with that. I found it works really wonderfully well. And then hypochlorous acid is sort of like hypochlor is a fairly gentle spray that we can put around a gel that we can put around our eyelids or it comes in different formulas, but that also kills the male demodex. We can use things like tea tree oil that will kill them, but it's also fairly toxic to the ocular surface. So I usually don't really go for that one as my first choice. We like to do um, in-office zest treatment. And then because, and that kind of kills them, whatever's on the surface kills them. But then we got to keep in mind that these little mites have a 14 day life cycle and they're going to be shedding at night while they're sleeping. So I tell my patients for the next 14 days, I want you to switch out your pillowcase. Maybe you have two different pillowcases and wash them and alternate so that we're not reinfecting anything that's kind of coming off on the pillowcase. And then I want to see them back in two weeks and evaluate if we need a second zest treatment. We also have this low level light therapy where we can use this blue light and you guys have all heard of 
using UV light to disinfect our instruments and things like that. Well, you can use blue light to kill these mites as well. And we'll incorporate that in our treatment as well. The patients will lay back. It's fairly comfortable. Just lay with this blue mask over their face. It takes about 20 minutes. And we'll follow up with some blue light therapy and then some maintenance therapy with an anti-inflammatory foam cleanser to use in the shower just to sort of maintain so that they don't return. So this Nasocula Zest treatment, what's in that? Do you have it? Do you know what's in that? That kills the mites? Yeah, I don't know 100% what's in it. I think it's kind of proprietary for them. I'm not sure they okay. even share too much information about it, but it's, I know they say it's okra based. So it's anti-inflammatory and antimicrobial, which is really kind of a struggle, right? Anything that kills, anything that's antimicrobial, a lot of times is pro-inflammatory and put soaps on our eyes and things like that. And, and so we really want to keep the inflammation down. All that eyelid inflammation from the infection causes, you know, the meibomian glands to, the, causes those oils in those meibomian glands to harden up and and uh, then the glands, like I said, become obstructed. Uh, we don't get enough oil in the tear film and, and the lids just don't feel good. And a lot of times you can tell that if you have this chronic condition, you'll notice crusties on your eyelids and you might even notice that the lid margin is more red. And sometimes I can tell that when I first walk in the room, I'm like, oh yeah, this person looks like they have red eyeliner on. They've got some significant blepharitis. Your eyes and your vision are under attack, damaging blue light from the sun. Your phone, your computer, your tablet, even light bulbs and car headlights is constantly bombarding you. The good news is our eyes actually already have a line of defense to counter the effects of blue light. This defense is made up of three pigments called carotenoids. MacU Health with Micromycel, the only supplement with the exclusive patent on all three macular carotenoids and micromycel technology. Fitting multifocal contact lenses presents a big opportunity to meet patient needs while growing your practice. Alcon is your partner, not only with our innovative portfolio, but through e-learning. Learn to enhance your multifocal strategy today with the Alcon Experience Academy. Each generation was supposed to be healthier than the last one. Lifespan was supposed to be increasing. We were supposed to be in this paradise by now. Instead of getting healthier and healthier, it seems to have gone the opposite way. Millennials were projected to be the first generation in history to not outlive the generation before them. We are certainly headed for disaster. I think a lot of people are beginning to question the whole story. We live in a time where the paradigms are shifting. And the optometrist, in my opinion, is one of the best kept secrets. The public doesn't realize about going to the eye doctor. So many different diseases actually manifest in the eye. The back of the eye is the only place in the body that you could actually see the blood vessels. Completely non-invasively, you could screen thousands of people, not just for their eye health, but for their whole body health. Because this disease is here, it's also gonna be here. And I can look into the back of my eyeball and there are expert doctors on the ground who are looking at my eyeball while I'm doing it. The eye is the canary of the mind. The eye is the kingdom. 
Will everyone please open their eyes? Since I bought Safe for You, my dad makes me clean his boat. It's natural y es un buen producto. Every time I go back to school, my mom always makes sure that I have my Safe for You products. I bring extra and my roommates certainly don't mind. It's a good thing I had Safe for You to clean up after this little guy. When my hands get dry, I like to wash them with Safe for You. And most importantly, the reason why I buy Safe for You is because it's safe for me and you.